Let me ask you to turn to the very front of your Bibles to the index where you will find Habakkuk. Now I say that because it's only three or four pages long in most Bibles and uh, it's not a book that uh, most people have spent a lot of time in. So don't be embarrassed uh, by looking in the index. I've got a paper clip on it for myself, actually. And while you're turning to that, I, I want to reinforce what was said earlier uh, about the speakers for the next two Sundays. You are going to enjoy them. Dr. Frank Barker and Dr. George Murray. Uh, both of these are highly in demand at missions conferences. Uh, that, that they do this all the time. Uh, they have both had significant ministries, and we're privileged to have both of them uh, coming to be with us, as well as other uh, missionaries. And we're going to Skype in some missionaries during Sunday school to be able to talk with them. We've got a, just a great conference uh, planned, and I hope that you will take part in every part of it. And please be praying uh, this week in terms of uh, what the Lord would have you, uh, how he would have you take part in our faith mission giving, which uh, we will talk about again next Sunday. But now's the time, certainly, to be praying about uh, how you believe he will provide for our uh, partnership with uh, many missionaries all over this world. As we look in Habakkuk, uh, I just simply want to read you one verse, and I'm going to give you some context uh, for this in verse 14 of chapter 2, which is the theme verse for our conference the next couple of weeks. And it actually is uh, the verse on which uh, Mighty Lord Extend Your Kingdom uh, was based upon. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth. And we pray now as we dive into this book that's maybe not that familiar to many of us that we will see the significance of this wonderful promise, the significance especially pertaining to our focus upon missions, our call to spread the gospel, to be used by you to extend the kingdom, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Somewhere around 625 B.C., Habakkuk saw one group of very cruel uh, people, the Assyrians, begin to weaken. That was a good thing. But at the same time, he saw another group, the Babylonians, referred to in uh, at least my translation as the Chaldeans. It's the same people. He saw them rising to power, and they, if anything, were more cruel than the other ones. 
He wondered. He struggled with this question. And the question that has taken on many forms uh, down through history, uh, the question of, of a holy God dealing with this evil on this earth. Now, Habakkuk understood that the people of God needed to come under God's judgment. His concern and his struggle, however, was how can a holy God use evil people to judge and be a judgment upon the people of God? How does that work? And we see him begin to get to the answer in chapter 2, verse 4, which we will get to in a moment. And then we see another big glimpse of it in the promise, which is the verse that is before us. And what an encouragement that would have been to him in terms of who the ultimate victor is going to be in this. So let's, let's take a, a closer look at this verse itself. Uh, it talks about the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now, we need to notice that it's not just knowledge about God. It's much more than that. Knowledge about God is not sufficient for salvation. One can know an awful lot about God without having a relationship with him. If you remember in our previous series on James, he talks about the demons and how they had this kind of a knowledge. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So what he was saying is we've got the devil and demons that have all kinds of knowledge about God, but we know that they aren't saved. They're not going to be in heaven. And so when we see him talk about the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, we've got to understand that it's, it's much bigger, much more intense, and includes relationship beyond just a, a head knowledge that anyone can have without a relationship with God. Martin Luther was a part of a church that was teaching that there were certain things you had to do in order to have a relationship with God. They didn't use that term, but that's basically what the focus was. Do things like say certain kinds of prayers, buy indulgences, do penance for sin, various other things like that that the church would prescribe. He was a monk, but he was a frustrated monk because he was in search of peace with God. Now, Luther devoted himself to all of the things that were required of him by the church, and yet he sensed, and rightfully so, that he still didn't have any peace of conscience. So he tried other things. He would fast for 10 to 15 days at a time. He, he would sleep outside in the freezing cold without a blanket. He would whip 
himself with a whip until his back was bruised and bloodied. All of those thinking, maybe if I can make myself miserable enough, God will accept me and give me some kind of peace of conscience. But he could not find it. Luther went to confession so often as a monk. He went so often that the abbot said to him, Martin, either go out and commit a sin worth confessing or stop coming here so often. He would go back and back and back again, hoping that maybe this time he would experience that peace of conscience, but it never came. Finally, in 1509, he decided to make a pilgrimage to Rome, the place that he thought maybe was a holy place. So he took out on foot over the Alps from where he lived. As he was descending the Alps, he got a fever, and it was so bad that his life was threatened He made it to the foot of the Alps to a monastery where the brothers there took care of him to nurse him back to health in talking with him. There was at least one wise monk there who saw his struggles and he said, Martin, read the book of Habakkuk. Maybe he saw Luther's struggles and and thought of the struggles of Habakkuk and, and thought perhaps Luther will find some answers. He was taken in particular as he read Habakkuk by chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. He couldn't get it out of his mind. Finally, he recovered sufficiently to continue his journey to Rome. When he got there, he went to the church of St. John. Now, in that church, it was a common place for uh, pilgrims to go on their journey and to make their pilgrimage actually to that place. What his effort was, was as many of the pilgrims, uh, would, would be to go up the steps. The steps that were brought there, that were said to be the steps that Jesus walked up in going to Pilate. There were places on those steps where little mosaics were put which were to represent where they had found drops of blood from Jesus' back. And the pilgrims would go up one step at a time on their knees and often kiss those things in search of a relationship. He did that. He had his whip. 
again seeking peace of conscience. Going up the steps on his knees, he got halfway up, and there in his mind was that which he could not get out, the just shall live by faith. He got it. He understood finally that it was it was not about things that he could do or that someone could tell him to do that would get him into relationship with God. But it was about faith and what Christ had done on the cross. He stood up, left his whip behind, and went back and continued to study. Out of that and his writings came the Reformation with the focus upon grace, upon faith, upon the Scripture itself upon all of those leading to real relationship with God. That it's not about what anyone can do. It's not about what we can know in our head. Luther had all of that knowledge and he had no peace of conscience. But it's about believing and trusting Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. In other words, those that, that try to gain God on their own uh, will be proud, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That was Habakkuk's answer, the beginning of it. And that leads to the great promise. But here we see the gospel the good news that Luther finally was able to understand. Now notice in the verse before us, it talks about the filling, talks about how the earth will be filled. And then it uses the phrase, as the waters cover the sea. Now think about that. I I have to admit, I puzzled over that some this week. What does it mean that the waters cover the sea? Now, that's a common phrase, but aren't the waters the sea? <laughs> you know, what's it mean that they cover the sea? And as I, I looked further, I, I, I think if we wanted to um, make it the, the fullest translation, maybe we could say the bottom that covers the bottom of the sea, but But here's the point without getting bogged down in all that. The point is full coverage. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord fully covering his creation. That's the call to global missions. It's the promise that his glory will be known. At this point in 2011, 
that covering is spotty at best. There are huge parts of the world where they don't know of the gospel, where they don't know of Jesus yet. And that's our calling. And let's bring it closer to home. Here we are in the Bible Belt. And yet, as you came to church, you drove by dozens, probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people who don't know of the glory of the Lord, who don't have a relationship with him yet. That's our call to missions. For many of you, in terms of spreading the gospel, it needs to begin right in your own home. For the the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover this whole earth that needs to cover your home as well. And that's a part of global missions. That is a part of our focus. Now, what's the plan? How's he going to do that? If this is a promise, and it is a promise of some time in the future, then what is the, the big plan that he has in order to make this good news, this gospel, this knowledge which is relationship known throughout the world. Here's the thing. When God first created the universe, including the waters of the earth, he did it out of nothing. He did it by the word of his power. He spoke and boom, there were the waters. There were the seas. There was the earth. There was the universe. He didn't need anything in order to create and create the waters that cover the sea. But here, he's got a different plan. He didn't need a different plan. He could have just spoken and the knowledge of him and his glory would have covered the universe. But here's the plan he chose. Jesus gave it before he ascended, after he was resurrected. God had Jesus give this as the plan to spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's what it is. Simple plan. Instead of me speaking and it being done, I want to use my people. I want to use the people of God to take that knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Why did he choose that? It doesn't seem to be all that efficient. 
I can't answer the why. I can only answer that because that's his way. He uses us by his grace, not because we're good at it, not because we are efficient or that's the most efficient way, but to bring himself glory. That's the only explanation I know. And yet he's made it clear that we are to be involved in this. So we're talking about extending his kingdom. What will it look like if his kingdom is extended? We pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What will it look like? Well, we have the level, as we are talking about, of of global missions. For us, we believe he has called us to focus in certain parts of the world, not to ignore uh, any parts of the world, but to go deeper, to build relationships with people. And so, in Ukraine, in Haiti, in England, these are areas of focus. We also have people in places like Turkey and Bulgaria, in Africa, in various parts of the world. Global missions. Where we go and we send and we partner. Now, going is obvious. Sending and partnering is in prayer and giving. That's the simplest way I know to put it. The way we give is faith mission giving. And that is, we say, God, I'm already tithing. I'm giving obediently to you. But I want to give to partner to extend your kingdom so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will at some point cover like the waters of the sea. And so, God, will you? Will you give me more so I can give to this? And that's what faith mission giving is. That's the easiest way I know to explain it. We pray, we ask him how much we think he wants to give to us, to give. And that's how he has provided. In a wonderful way, I've heard testimonies of of how he has given to many of you to fulfill that commitment. Ways you couldn't have expected when you made that commitment. My own faith has grown because of that kind of commitment. But extending his kingdom isn't just out there. Global missions includes local missions. And so if we are doing what he called us to do, we will focus on things like we do, whether it's sharing God's love, daybreak ministries, Oliver Gospel Mission, school time Bible. We're out of that ministry 
In the last several years, we have seen dozens of professions of faith. Praise God. That is global missions as well. And it's not just out there. It's in our home as well. It's in our church home here. It's expanding the ministries that he has given to us. We're going into a building program. You know, if if we were to enter into that, and we're not, but if we were to enter into it in order to build our kingdom, in other words, give us a a bigger presence, uh, you know, to look better from St. Andrew's Road or to say we got the biggest building around or anything like that. If we were to do that, it would be, as Ecclesiastes says, vanity. We would not be going into it for that reason. But we've got ministries that just continue to grow. Our youth had their their biggest attendance last Wednesday night. They not only are out of room, they are in, literally, we call them the sap shacks, and that used to be a beloved little name for that. But that's a good description of what they are. Our worship and arts ministry has grown. Our choir keeps growing. Now, we've got a couple of choices. We can say, okay, that's it, no more growth. But I can't believe that that really is the answer. And so we enter in to this by faith looking to God to see what he will choose to do as we expand our ministry for one reason to extend his kingdom to be used by him as weak imperfect vessels to be used by him and then we've got to know that extending his kingdom and this is really where it begins You know, it's easy for any of those to be the out there things. But when we pray thy kingdom come, we've got to start with right here. Extending his kingdom in our hearts. And when that happens, we will see hearts that are captured for Christ. We will see people making decisions based upon their knowledge of the glory of the Lord, their relationship with Him, not based upon what we can figure out, but saying, God, what is it you would have me to do? We will see sacrifice. We will see radical obedience. And we will see that increase in our own life and in the lives of those around us in this church. And glory be to God, we are seeing that. What's it look like? You know, we've heard a lot about Egypt recently. In Egypt, you will, if you look very hard, you can find a graveyard located at the end of a garbage-lined alley. 
It's grown up and over. In that graveyard, you will see a tombstone for William Borden, who died in 1913. Maybe you don't recognize the name, but maybe you recognize the family, Borden Dairies. He was the heir to all of that. He was, because of that, a a millionaire by 21. But he renounced his fortune, giving nearly all of his wealth to missions. And when he did that, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. William Borden went on to Yale. He had a tremendous ministry and... and, uh, Many people grew under his ministry and were challenged by his faith. When he graduated, he was offered a number of high-paying jobs because he was that kind of a person, and he turned down those jobs. And in the back of his Bible, under no reserves, he wrote, no retreats. You see, he felt called to go to China and share the gospel with Muslims. No reserves, no retreats. And so he set out for China. He stopped in Egypt. There he wanted to study Arabic, but four months later, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died. Waste of a life, maybe? What he could have done, maybe we should ask. But instead dying at the age of 25. When his Bible was found, they found one more phrase under no reserves, no retreats. And that was no regrets. no regrets. If you go back to that graveyard and you dust off the headstone at Borden's grave, after describing his love for Christ and his desire to share Christ with those who were without him and his sacrifices for the kingdom, this is how the inscription ends. It says this, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Let me ask you this. What is the explanation for your life? May it be that you have in your life the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. May that be the only explanation for your life. Let's pray together.
It is our desire, Lord, to see you extend your kingdom. Extend your kingdom. Will you help us to be obedient? Will you cause your kingdom to come in our hearts? So much so that when people look on our life, they will know that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no explanation. But in Christ, it all makes sense. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.